Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Care Live, the conversa conversation series, easy for me to say, um, happening every Saturday this month. Today, I have a very special guest in this series. And if you see the graphic pop up, you know who that is. It is Roxanne Stafford, who is someone who I'm so thankful to call a friend, someone who I've been so thankful to learn from along my journey and her journey. And so we're going to dive in. Um, Roxanne has done so much incredible work um, over her over her career and in her life. And she just has so much brilliant insight to share. So I'm not going to spoil it. Um, I'm going to welcome uh, Roxanne who will dive into this wonderful conversation, um, which I know we'll be talking about voice. We'll be talking about finding your voice. We'll be talking about family and history. And I really can't do an introduction an introduction to Roxanne Justice. Um, clearly, I'm flustered because I'm very excited to be um, talking with her today. But without further ado, let's welcome Roxanne Stafford. Roxanne. Hey, Matt. How are you? <laughs> it's good to see you. Clearly, I am very uh, flustered just diving into the conversation with you. And I think part of it is just being excited to be here, like actually have this interview conversation, actually share it with other people, and even more just to be in conversation with yeah. you today. So thank I, you for, I, for being oh, here. Thank you. I feel the same way. I love being in community with you. Um, I also realize we're in such an auspicious month, right? It's a happy year of the ox, first and foremost. Our Lunar New Year has begun for many of our community. Uh, it's Galentine's Day for those of you that like Parks and Recs, one of my favorite shows. And obviously it's Black History Month, Black Futures Month. So there's all this goodness that is is surrounding us. Uh, and then we have such a, a deep friendship. Uh, so thank yeah. you again for inviting me. No, thank you. And I, I think something, there's so much there that we touched on. And I think one of the beautiful things about this conversation and some of the other Let's Care conversations, these live conversations, recorded conversations, whatever they are, is just like we are talking about you. We're, we're in conversation. This is, um, I don't really know what to expect over the next hour in this conversation, honestly, but that's the beauty of it. It's a conversation. Right. So. I mean, I think a good place to start would just be, you know, kind of learning more about you. Um, and I think identity is so critical when it comes to who we all are. I know that when you're probably asked to introduce yourself, depending on the context, there are like a million different ways you could introduce yourself. Um, but I want to know, like, how do you usually introduce yourself? Um, like, who are you? In, in other words, for those who might be watching and wondering um, who you are, Roxanne. Oh, goodness. Well, I am the daughter of Harriet Stafford, the mm. daughter of Sam Stafford, the granddaughter of Francis Stafford, the granddaughter of Mildred Stafford. I mean, I can go on and on um, because I who I am is 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 my family, my ancestors. Um, I am a proud black woman. I am a proud indigenous woman. I am a proud Baha'i. Um, the Baha'i faith is a spiritual revolution in the sense that we are uh, united in our pursuit of a just oneness of the world, bringing in uh, the love and commitment of what it means to, to be one. And so when I introduce myself, I, I bring all of those things uh, with me in particular, in the Baha'i faith, um, Baha'u'llah, who's the prophet founder, he says this, we must be anxiously concerned with the needs of the age you live in and center your deliberations on the exigencies and requirements. And that's how I introduce myself, meaning like I am anxiously concerned, right? I'm not wigging out, but what I'm saying is like who I am is a person who is focused on what is needed in the world. And the reason why I have that type of orientation is because of my my family, my ancestors, and my spiritual upbringing that exposed me to all different faiths, all different belief systems. Um, and that has empowered me, right, to be ready to be a part of this such unique time period. So, you know, when I think of myself, um, I think of myself as a vessel. And so I'm always trying to make sure 
that um, this vessel is open, right? So that the the love of God, the love of my my own ancestors, right, can flow to other people, and then I am ready to receive what is necessary to stay, you know, to stand up and be present. And I'm also ready to, to give so others can, you know, stand beside me, right? Because that's how we are able to do the good work and make sure that that good work for justice, right, is sustainable. Wow. And and one thing I'll just point out that I really appreciate about you, but I think I'm just realizing it even in the moment as we sit here is how much of a holistic view that you bring to how you interact with the world. So. I'm asking you who you are and how you introduce yourself and immediately you go to where you came from, which I think is tough sometimes because we forget or we don't, you know, we, we're so focused on the immediate and everything that's material around us that we kind of lose focus of where we come from. But I appreciate that so much from you, especially in this context, because, you know, you know, you know about, of course, my, my dad passing away March 8th, 2017. And I mentioned that in different interviews as a way to more fully bring myself, um, mm -hmm. also just to bring my experiences um, when they come to mind, but also to say that that's what motivates this. So in that way, we are also I mean, we're connected by my own family and my own experience, and that's just in loss. Like we could go on and on about life and, and all the things I've gotten from the ancestry, but I want to zone in on um, even just that piece that you're mentioning about family and being being raised into who you are today. Um, and you mentioned the concern, healthy concern for the world around you. A lot of people that was sparked. Uh, last year at some mm -hmm. point, whether it's the pandemic, whether it was the murder of George Floyd and the conversations around that or, or the election, but that started early for you. So could you talk a little bit more about like what you remember of when that concern, when that curiosity yeah. came to life for you? Yeah, so I, um, I'm gonna get emotional because my I love my parents oh. and um, they created the best environment for us. And I remember my mom teases me about this. Like I used to, when I was very, very little, I used to ask these questions about how can I be a me and a we, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to understand the relationship of, you know, self agency, right? And community agency and how those things work together to make things more just. And in our household, we would study this together through the arts and sciences by having people of all different backgrounds, belief systems, languages, cultures in our home. Our home was um, such a, it's still a very beautiful place. My family is still there. So I am, I'm blessed not everyone gets to go home and see these places, but it was an open house. It was a community center. You know, we would have race unity dinners where folks would, and I remember this being very, very small, talking about these dynamics that we are facing today, right? But I got to hear about it when I was three and four years old. I was blessed to, you know, in those dinners, you know, be on the lap of my Haji Baba, my my dear uncle, my Iranian, my Persian uncle, like to be a, a, a black girl in the South and have a Persian uncle, right? That was the environment that I was in to be in a home where there was, we were looking at the future through music, you know, by listening to, you know, you name it from Earth, Wind and Fire to the soundtrack to The Wiz on Broadway, right? Um, you know, just using uh, music as a way to figure out what was happening in the world um, and having so many people, again, I have so many aunties and uncles. Um, and so that's where that came from because I was able to hear so many different perspectives and, and my parents firmly believe in this concept of individual investigation of the truth. You have the right to go out and understand what is happening in the world and figure out your own belief system and ways of solving problems. And you should look at all that has been provided from nature to what is in, you know, the most um, esteemed institutional libraries, right? All of that contains guidance. And obviously as part of that process, you should look into yourself. So I would be remiss, you know, Matt, if I didn't say, you know, where did this also begin is, you know, I was taught from an early age to meditate, to pray, to center myself and to listen 
to the universe, you know, as Rumi reminds us so much in his incredible poetry, right? Um, as we know from, you know, our shared background and working with NASA, like yeah. we are all made up of stars, right? Literally, that's what we are made up of. And so, you know, in my household, there was not this conflict between science and religion. There wasn't this conflict about, you know, you can't learn things from the arts. You have to just focus on like history or, 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 or you know, um, Western European tomes to, to understand reality. I'll, I'll share just a really quick story about like, again, this very much, as I look back, I know it was normal for me as a child, but as I look back, it was a revolutionary household. So I was one of the first uh, black children to go to my elementary school. And I know this sounds kind of weird. And, and when people think about that, you think about Ruby Bridges. Um, and she, of course, is an icon to me. Uh, but this was in the 90s. So and in, 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 it's not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and I would go to this school and every day my parents would prepare us with prayer and meditation as well as listening to NPR as we drove to school to school um, to, to know that we need to ask questions like, where is this information coming from? Who are these filters? What does this mean in the grand global scheme of things? And when we would come home, we would read books like Before the Mayflower. We would go deep into John Hope Franklin's body of work looking at the African diaspora and specifically the African-American experience. So when my school was trying to tell us that Columbus discovered America, I knew from my parents as well as all the people who came to my home, that is not true. There were people there before who had rich cultures, rich ways of being, things that we needed to listen to and understand, right? My parents, like, and that's just one example, were able to allow us to, not in an adversarial way, but just a more opening like of the aperture way of knowing how to show up and be. And then because of that, we always had the orientation of service. And that's what I mean by being anxiously concerned of the needs of the world today. Mm. To paraphrase Baha'u'llah, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. And I even just my follow-up question to that, um, you know, cause I'm trying to picture what that experience was like for you showing up as you did. I mean, I have my own experiences, um, not only growing up, but at different points, being the only one of me in the room time and time again, which is another reason I appreciate you because when I joined Second Muse, I was like, oh, there's Roxanne and I can relate to her and her experience and there's so much there, which we'll get into. But, um, you know, how did you, like, what did that look like when you showed up and how was that received by people when you came again, seemingly having this sense of who you are, but correct me if, if that's not the case, when, how did people receive you at the time when you had this awareness, uh, thanks to NPR, meditation, mindfulness, just the education, um, informal, informal that your folks gave you? Like, How did people receive that as you grew up? You know, in those early years when, um, as my mom used to put it, we were blockbusting, right, integrating these spaces, these yeah. white only spaces. Um, it was very difficult. Um, and that is why the fortification that you just um, did a summary of was, was so important, because I needed to know, just like we are, we are doing this now again, right, like, the ability to have mantras, have music, have an environment that says you are a full person, you are a human being in spite of things. Um, even when I was, you know, five years old, six, eight years old, like um, I needed to hear that and I needed to see that because when I would go to school each day, that was not what I was greeted with. Now, you know, I, I, I will say this, I, am very thankful for that experience. I would not be the person I am today if I had not had um, those types of trials and tribulations at a very young age, because it taught me compassion. It taught me real understanding. So instead of like hating and saying like this white dominant white supremacist culture that these folks who are running a school had no idea because they were swimming in it, that they were reinforcing it. And maybe some actually were reinforcing it on purpose. I didn't allow that to eat at my soul, right? And I think we're in very, again, similar times right now where it is extremely important, whether it is you know singing this little light of mine 
or, you know, taking wisdom from Trisha Hershey's The Nap Ministry, right, which is focused on the revolutionary power of rest coming from our, our Black ancestors, some who were enslaved, um, that there is something about being kind to oneself and strong in who one is that allows liberation and freedom for, for all. And, you know, as I came up in the ranks, so to speak, and again, I'm from the South and I, and I am very proud to be from the South and that will always be a part of me. Mm -hmm. um, the honoring of oneself is something that is, has always been important to me. And I strive every day to create environments so other people know, please show up as who you are. Yeah. We need you to be who you are because the world is facing things that are very difficult to solve by one you know, pedagogy, one way of being, one culture, right? Um, so that's, that is like, when I think about my journey, and I know we'll get into you know, other aspects, like I'm an engineer, and what does that mean to, to be a woman, a black woman, you know, in a field like that, to, to going into investments? Like, we'll talk about that later, but I, yeah. I feel like one of the, the themes, again, is back to my conversation with my mom. How can I be a me and a we? That I'm always thinking about how to help people step into their agency and channel that agency into something that is beautiful. Yeah, I, that's that's so powerful, and it brought a lot to mind for me. But you were mentioning, um, just talking a little bit more about some of those experiences as an engineer, as someone also in the civic tech world, as someone who um, has been in a lot of different spaces. Actually, I would love if if I don't even if it's a if it's an overview, if you could just talk about like what that. Um, you know, where you've, where some of those stops on your journey have been, because like, I'm aware of them from, from when we met at, at Second Muse onward, but I would love to hear from you. Like, what has that, that journey been, I guess, in your adult life, especially, um, you know, if, if you're walking through the timeline, what have some of those um, beats been along the timeline? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I became an engineer. I, I was really fortunate, again, through, um, the love of my family, my Korean auntie, uh, like encouraging me to apply to Stanford. Um, I did their product design program with an eye to justice. Um, schools of engineering don't teach justice-based curriculum. They still don't. Um, but I was always thinking about this notion of if I can build the muscle memory around how systems are, cr are created, then I can focus the rest of my time on the human dynamics of, you know, dignity, right? The human dynamics of understanding how we have to address anti-Black racism, right? All these other dynamics that are so, or gender-based violence. Like if I could learn these other processes from science, from the arts, from engineering, um, there's something that those processes we need to listen to that haven't traditionally been a part of these conversations around ju justice building. Um, so that's what I spent my time at Stanford, like exploring in a lot of different communities, joined lots of communities in, in doing that, not just in the school, but in East Palo Alto, which is everyone knows, unfortunately, anytime there's a major university, there's a ring of, of, of poverty around it. And there's always that tension of the, I grew up in one of those places, right? This is where I come from, University of Florida, right? Um, so I had, I had a sense of that. So I, I, I was always purposely making sure that whatever course of study I was doing, and like I was always deep in the community. The community will check you every time, right? Um, you know, as an engineer, I, I, you know, spent time working in product design spaces, again, to build that muscle memory of the design movement to really understand, as, as some people call human centered design, I was always building basically a thesis, uh, Matt, uh, around, I guess, what you could call humanity centered design, yeah. um, that you need to understand someone's humanity and be connected, right, just like how mutual aid networks are in order to design what is needed, what is useful and what is meaningful at all levels of design from product to businesses to governance. And so with that pursuit, 
you know, I went to business school to basically learn another language. There were no seats at the table, you know, in, in the global development world for engineers other than like, oh, you know, you're an agricultural engineer. Okay, we can fit you in somewhere, but you don't have a seat at the table to talk about strategy. So I picked right. up a, like a language, so to speak, around business, going to business school. And then, you know, my path to second needs where you and I met, you know, came after I worked for a while in management consulting, again, picking up other types of tools. And as many people know, unfortunately, management consulting is really steeped in white dominant culture. You apply the same frameworks over time, you throw data at people, and you act as if you were smarter and better. And by virtue of that, almost putting people in a position of like, whoa, um, folks think that, okay, the problems are now solved. But what we have to realize is that we're missing the power of the interdependence and co-creation of value. So I'm sharing some of these like little highlights to say like not every part of my path was like perfect. Like um, I needed to see the dark so I could understand the light, right? I needed to see contrast, right? And you know, my time at Second Muse, you know, after I worked in management consulting and focused on things like shared value and collective impact. Um, I was able to kind of expand in these areas around what is this art and science of collaboration look like? What does it mean when you are, are focused on, on value creation? Um, it allowed me to play with another thesis where I fully believe that value can be is inherent to all, that we all have something to um, give, um, and that we need to make sure that whatever we are doing, we ask ourselves, how can we create value for everybody that's involved? And so, you know, my my time at Second Muse was around exploring that in terms of, of you know, open data and, and civic tech, like you mentioned before, to, you know, the work that, and I, I have to say that I am most proud of, yeah. um, and there are two in that, is the internet freedom work, which is really about understanding the power of community the power of voice and what communication can look like and feel like and what people can do when we decide for ourselves that we are worthy of hearing each other. Um, that work is, um, I come back to it. I'm very active in the community to this day. And then the other part of that work is when I, and that was global, as you know, I was all over the world during that time. And the other part of that work is when we were in the, the Pacific islands where I was working with indigenous populations around entrepreneurial strategies to mitigate climate change. Mm. Um, and we were bringing together literally, right, folks from all different islands to really start to work together to figure out, okay, what does a global governance system look like that's rooted in spiritual practices, just as much as it is rooted in scientific, as much as rooted in literally rooted in our, our, our connection to the earth. I'll stop there before wow. we get into some no, of the other kind of stuff. That's powerful. <laughs> I, no, I think it's good to see, to, to share your journey with people because a lot of the time we don't ask people to share their journey and where they've been. Like something that um, is, it will probably always be jarring to me is like any time that I will like enter a meeting or sit down with someone and we don't start by asking about how we are and we don't start by uh, uh, establishing some sort of rapport of who we are, which like it, it doesn't mean sitting down and saying, here's my history, let's walk through my family history and everything I've been through. But at the same time, um, I, I think we, we do need to do some work to like show people and share ourselves with people. And to go back to what you're saying about your time at Second Muse overlapping with my time at Second Muse, I think one reason why we're here is that I very vividly remember because we didn't have a lot, it wasn't a long time that we overlapped at Second Muse, really. I was there for almost five years. And, and you know, so, and, and we only had a, like maybe a, not even a year um, that we were there, but that the time was so impactful. And your influence on me was actually so palpable because I remember joining in April 2016. By June 2016, there was the United State of Women event happening um, still in the Obama administration. And I remember this beautiful blog post that you wrote that um, actually, the reason I probably remember it so well is because I went back and read it um, like 
mid last year at some point um, where you were talking about you were and maybe you remember it better than I too, do and could give more of an overview. But essentially you were talking about um, your ancestors, your history, where you come from, and you were framing it through the lens of Beyonce and, and Freedom, her song Freedom. And I was just so inspired because as a young Black man, especially in a place where there aren't a lot of us, in a space where there aren't a lot of us, like to see someone who is just like, I mean, like really, like really casual, because I'm like, how do I say this in an articulate way? But like being black, like which is revolutionary in a lot of spaces and like just showing up in your identity. I saw that and learned a lot from you in that. Um, and, I, you know, that that kind of that foundation for me of seeing you be you show up as you unapologetically was something that affected me a lot. So not to make you cry, but um, to say that I, you know, that, um, that piece of our overlap um, and, and even since then has kind of been a reminder for me of like this idea I mentioned to you before of finding your voice and helping others find their voices. Um, And so I think maybe to, to get back a little bit, well, I'll actually, I'll stop before redirecting to another question. I don't know if you have any thoughts or if you want, if, you know, how, what was that experience like for you um, <laughs> when uh, in that moment that I was referencing or, you know, writing that post and just sharing who you are? Was it like, I'm just being Roxanne and this is natural and that's like another moment of you being you or um, is there is there something else that that's memorable and resonates still? That's very sweet. You brought it up. Like now I'm like, oh man, I need to reread this. I have it. <laughs> I'm I'm very so I'm, I I am not as good. I am trying to improve on like collecting the things and making making more visible artifacts for folks. Yeah. Um, you know, through kind of this this exploration that I'm using my life to do. My my life is a living laboratory around um justice mm-hmm. and and what and what love to me, what love looks like in action is justice, right? And so that opportunity to be honored as a VIP by the Obama administration, you know, to come to that gathering of, you know, so many women and also, you know, non-binary folks were there, trans community was represented. And there were even some cis men that were there who had, you know, done the hard work of walking the talk and actually delivering on, on um, supporting women and girls. Um, when I when I reflect on that opportunity and when I was writing that post, um, not just because I love Beyonce, but I, I feel like this quest for freedom, this work for abolition, you know, this is tied to as Nicole Hannah Jones so eloquently packaged for all of us in the 1619 project and continues to do so is the fact that black people have held on to the values of what this country has aspired to be more so than almost all people, right? That in spite of the indignities and the violence for hundreds and hundreds of years, we still believe, right? In truth and justice. We still believe that it is possible, right? To have a governance system that is of and by and for the people. And so I, you know, when I was writing about that and thinking about Lemonade as a, a concept album in and of itself and, and my life, um, I just wanted to share it in terms of a celebration. I think it's important, just as Bell Hooks reminds us in, um, in a lot of her work, uh, love is a, I believe love is a practice of freedom. If I'm misremembering the essay, I'll try to get, I'll try to get you the right one. In it, she talks about the duality of like struggle and joy, and then oftentimes we we dwell just on the struggle and we don't talk about the joy, and that narratives are incomplete when we don't have the two together. And that is, you know, another through line in my life where I'm trying to understand that that type of connection. Um, you know, part of it is a spiritual connection that's associated um, with my religious faith, but also it's a spiritual connection associated with my ancestors because. I walked into that ballroom 
yeah. as my Angela reminds us, right? With thousands of people, when you're alone, you have thousands. I walked in there with my ancestors, right? I walked in there to honor Addie Patillo and Mary Patillo, right? Who were enslaved people, right? I walked in there to honor, you know, Henry O'Tanner, who was the first black person to have a painting in the White House, right? That's my family like lineage. Like I walked in there with all of those people with, with me and I just wanted folks to know you too should be celebrating mm -hmm whatever, like whoever makes up your ancestry, like blood or not blood, right? Yeah. Celebrate that as we address the struggle, right? Yeah. And we have a lot of struggle right now, compounded and compounded, which means we need to have joy, celebration, and that, and that kind of inner uh, session based kind of connection, right? To, to, our, to our ancestors, you know, to our peoples. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That that's powerful to hear that the duality you mentioned of struggle and joy and those things living together. And I think that's a good summary of even just what you've shared so far. But you know, for I think oftentimes it's easier said than done for people to show up fully, show up in that way. Like, have what do you think? Um, you know, if you've thought about this, like, what do you think is the difference between, um, you know, people who are able to show up fully as themselves? Like, what do you think, in other words, what do you think is holding people back from showing up fully and bringing them, you know, their history with them? Because, I, I, I mean, we don't, you know, not everyone brings, um, I was kind of overwhelmed a little bit a few minutes ago when you were talking about, again, just bringing that history, bringing that struggle, bringing that context, bringing those ancestors with you. But then I think about all the people who don't at the same time, even though it's so important, like you're saying. Um, so how, like, what do you think the gap is for people and or, mm -hmm. slash how do you think that they could develop that, um, you know, that ability to bring themselves more fully into the room and bring their history more fully into the room? Yeah, I mean, this is, it's its complicated. Yeah. So I'll, I'll like attempt to share like things that um, come, like come to mind have helped helped me. I, I, you know, if we summarize this as being unapologetic, right? Um, you know, if we think about that concept and, and what allows people to become that, I think then we can figure out, okay, what are those barriers that they were able to overcome? Mm -hmm. um, I think what allows me to be unapologetic and the many identities and lives I've lived in um, is because I had a really firm foundation that I am a nobly created, beautiful, worthwhile soul. And that the brighter I shine, other people can shine bright alongside with me, right? So I, I think there, what prevents a lot of people is there is this notion, especially in Western world and perpetuated by Silicon Valley. And I know we'll get into VC stuff probably later on, like yeah. um, this notion of like startup culture and what it means to be a leader is you are a rock star, right? They talk about that um, notion, which means you're single and alone. Um, and what I like to think about is constellations and like galaxies. And when you are a part of a large celestial mass, right? Nothing can stop you. Mm -hmm. Like again, turn to nature. Like, let's talk about our, again, our NASA connection, right? We, yeah. Like, when you see the awe of that in the sky, right, which all peoples have a cosmology, right, within their culture, and talk about the power of the sky, that is part of everyone's culture because it's there to help us understand who we are in a larger context. So I think for folks who have um, are struggling with this sense of self and being able to bring who they need to be in certain situations. Um, it is because there has been so many things done to, you know, divorce and cut us off from nature, cut us off from the spirit, right? And when we have those things in play, then we're in a better position, right? To know how we need to show up. I don't always show up in the same way in each situation. That doesn't mean I'm not unapologetic. I'm just like, I have discernment, right? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what is best for that situation. You know, when when you brought this up, I, it makes me think of Audre Lorde, 
again, another person that I, I come to their work so much. And she says, when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, then I become less and then, excuse me, then it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid, right? And that's the other part of it. The development of vision can be a barrier for folks. The ability to exercise the individual investigation of truth, to build your vision, right? And then fear keeps keeps folks back time and time again. Um, and I'll just say this as like a teaser. Part of the reason that you know, af after I left Second Muse, I shifted my attention to really focusing on narrative. Um, again, a bond we share um, and the power of narrative to shape reality, right? Foucault talks about this, Jerome Bruner talks about this in his seminal speech, Acts of Meaning. Like humanity, we construct reality through stories, right? And so if our narratives are flawed, right? Of course we are going to be flawed. And that affects the way in which we develop our vision. So I got into media and specifically now more focused on journalism because I wanted to understand what was going on that was clouding people's vision, not helping them understand how to discern the truth. And then through that, be able to be a part of the cosmos, be a part of, of this larger body um, where we can get to justice. Wow. Yeah, I, I I would love to dive deeper into that because this this idea of narrative and the the importance it has for each of us. I mean, there's the story. There are the stories that we tell ourselves. There's the, the stories that we tell others about us and tell the community about us. There are the stories that we surface and highlight, but there are also the stories that we don't pay nearly enough attention to. Mm -hmm. So could you talk like more about um, why are those stories, why is that narrative so important to you? And what what's that work been that you've done um, or that you did really post Second Muse um, focused on, on narrative? Yeah, I, I just... I feel it's really important um, that we provide the right types of spaces for folks to tell their own stories like you are doing with the Let's Care community and other communities you're part of. So thank you so much, Matt. Have to no, thank you. make sure that it's clear because you're part of the solution. Um, I think that a lot of people don't feel like they're worthy of having a narrative, right? Um, because of various as aspects of systematic oppression. Um, that has reinforced that, whether it's globally coming from systems or even within the home unit telling you you don't have the right right to, to, to have a narrative. And so, you know, in some respects, the internet freedom work, you know, was very core for me in understanding that. I was looking at that from a human rights standpoint, right. a technology standpoint, but it's still about this ability for folks to have voice and hear and be receptive also to other people's narratives, right? It's not just one way we're like broadcasting, right? That's an, an important part of of this of our conversation around narrative and what draws both of us to the power of narrative. Um, you know, I I started thinking more deeply about again who's in front and behind the camera, right? Who has the ability to frame the like the problem that we're going to be solving and and the sources that we're going to be using and and I was like, oh, these parallel directly to engineering. I was like, this is just like a design process, right? Who gets to decide what we're gonna solve? Who gets to pick the methodology? Who gets to analyze the data? Who gets to decide the materials, the prototyping process? Like yeah. media and journalism is very similar, like the struggle, right, to to engineering and, and, and product design and design thinking. And so I, I just was like, let me take that again system that I built the muscle memory, you know, at Stanford, grounded in my family's home and tradition. And let's try to think about this from media. And I stepped into that role through investment, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think for a lot of people is a very weird way. They were like, well, you're not a journalist, Roxanne, don't you, wouldn't you come or be a producer? Or like, I came in it from like resources because I knew, right, yeah. that it was who has access to resources that is like the number one determining factor and who gets to set up the narrative, right? And, um, you know, um, as I shared with you before, Matt, like justice is a very important uh, virtue in my life, something that I am striving for. Uh, you know, as Dr. King talks about that arc, right? Like I feel like I'm trying to align my life on that arc 
to justice. Um, and it reminds me of, if you don't mind, if I could just share the short prayer that I meditate on about justice um, that grounds me in my narrative work. And it goes like this. Oh, son of spirit, the best beloved of all things in my sight is justice. Turn not away therefrom if thou desirest me and neglect it not that I may confide in thee. By its aid, thou shalt see with thine own eyes and not through the eyes of others and shalt know of thine own knowledge and not through the knowledge of thy neighbor. Ponder this in thy heart, how it behooveth thee to be. Verily, justice is my gift to thee and the sign of my loving kindness. Set it then before thine eyes. So, I'm gonna. Sh I, I actually must stop, and I'm curious what you think of this meditation, this prayer about justice, and your thoughts about narrative. And then I'll also share why I turn to this as I continue to do the narrative work. Well, I think more broadly, the thing that occurred to me is this relationship between like justice and prayer and meditation and, and prayerfulness. So, like. I don't know. I don't. I always try to use like the um, the analogy of like uppercase P prayer versus lowercase P. But I think overall, it's like this idea of whatever prayer is to you to center justice in that, to center that lens in that is such a powerful thing to do. And and also like another thing that occurred to me as you were just reading that was how much your own experience, your own story, how you show up in the world is a manifestation of that prayer is a manifestation of, um, you know, of, of these ideas that you've talked about. Um, and it also, there's so many different thoughts that occurred to me. Um, and I hope that I'm speaking for people who are listening to this and tuning in too. But the, I, I would say the last one is just the power of um, whether it's prayer, again, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's meditation, the power of focusing on that that thing or focusing on so it's it's it does have a major impact but i would love for you to talk about what that prayer means to you and and how that influences how you show up in the world or whatever else you want to say roxanne you can say whatever oh, you want um, i appreciate that's what I'm here for. <laughs> just for I appreciate that. Like under your I, learning I, tree <laughs> and i i i i thank you for sharing with me how how you were thinking about you know what i what i was just sharing you know um if i if i may you know one way that i i think about like mm -hmm. this mindfulness practice and the narrative work that i feel is expressed with this particular kind of quotation as it were is that um it's important to set up the conditions so folks can see with their own eyes right and not through filters and interpretations of others right that is important that you can develop your own knowledge right and not rely on the knowledge of others and you know i it isn't to say you know you don't have conversations with other people right don't have empathy for other people but it is to say like you cannot fully surrender your own agency your own critical thinking right um you can't outsource it and and we unfortunately live in a day and age um where it is very easy to outsource those types of things and because of that, it's important for us who work in the space of narrative to be stewards of it and recognize that, right? And so what we put out there on the various platforms, IG, Clubhouse, you know, Twitter, you name it, um, is extremely important. And in particular for communities that have been systematically marginalized or erased, like we, in some respects, have an uphill battle, while in other respects, we are the pioneers of those platforms. You know, can I get a shout out for Black Twitter, right? Like right. that's that consistently has set the course of what um, the like the good aspects, right, of Twitter uh, engagement can really look and feel like. And so, you know, in all of my work, again, I'm on the resource kind of cultivation side of of, of startups and, and movements around journalism and, and, and information is that I am trying to make sure that folks are able to see with their own eyes, collect knowledge, their own knowledge and be discerning as they have that larger discourse with the world. Wow, and I, I think just even um, sitting with that, but um, thinking about 
just thinking about your um, how you're again how you're showing up the impact that you're making I would love to to know a little bit more specifically um, again in follow-up to what you've been sharing like what do you see as the role of media and representation specifically like and I and I think about this a lot because in my experiences with with let's care and otherwise like one thing that that I've worked on for a while is a film that um, I filmed in June 2019, 20s and change, San Francisco. So sharing that with folks soon. But I think, you know, something that's really occurred to me is just how, like, regardless of um, where I've been in my life, there have been these different points where I've said, like, we need more of us in the room. We need more different kinds of people in the room and in the conversation and around the tables and all of those analogies. But media plays such an important role. Storytelling plays such an important role for bringing people into those conversations and uplifting them. But I, I would love to understand just because we, I mean, I've heard, um, we've heard really in this conversation, just the bigger picture of your story. But how like how how does where you started with your ancestors and with your family kind of funnel into where you are today like why is it media and like increasing representation and justice and equity in media um as opposed to working in some other space for you yeah i think it goes back to like this notion of discernment um you know, my, as I shared with earlier, my parents would sit us down and say, we're reading before the Mayflower, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're looking at like, you know, the, the collective works of Gwendolyn Brooks, like while you're in this, again, you know, this was the nineties, you know, basically white poetry class at my elementary school. We're gonna make sure like, so I think this discernment, this, desire to see what else is possible, what else can be created um, in the in the the global library of knowledge. That is the reason why like I have turned my work now. And my work will always evolve, right? My my thing is I, I'm like, it's about agency. Right. Individual agency, community agency, how they work together. That's my life's work. So the medium of storytelling and who gets to tell stories, and more importantly, the structures in which we value and thus give resources to is where I need to be spending my time. Um, and so my my family got me ready for that. And so, you know, as folks are reflecting on the mis and disinformation associated with COVID-19, um, the mis and disinformation associated with the election and this crescendo inflection point of January 6th, um, you know, the work I'm doing is funding, you know, folks deep in the community that have ties that can allow people to unravel all of that, right? Whether it's deeply looking at algorithms that dictate what gets targeted to Black folks on Twitter to, you know, working with returning citizens, again, formerly incarcerated individuals, to create films about what it means to navigate now that they are out and in a pandemic. Like I am humbled and honored to be in a position where I can look at folks of all different walks of life and I can say to them, we support you to be unapologetic, to use your own vision and voice right, to allow us to be connected to that greater cosmos of what is reality. That is a gift to me to take all of my life experiences and be able to, to, to be in community. And I'm very intentional when I talk about being in community, right? That is, again, the interconnectedness, the seeing the inherent value, the love that you have, right, for each other. And understand that together we're going to be able to tell the complete story, not just of Philadelphia. I mentioned a couple of folks in that example that come directly from my work in Philly, but not just in the U.S., but globally to tell the story. And to be able to do that at this time where we are, um, you know, facing so many pandemics and, and, and how so many poets and writers are talking about the pandemic as a portal, you know, I 
my career path now is about aperture, right? So expanding that portal so that the stories, the lived experience can be expressed in all different types of platforms and ways, right? So that folks are able to understand why oneness and justice is so important. Like our peace and security are dependent on the oneness of humanity. And the stories we tell or don't tell and how we shape it allow us to get that much closer to what that oneness could look like. Not sameness, but but oneness where we honor truly who we are and where we come from. Wow, Roxanne, that's so powerful. And it, it's something, one thing that stands out is that just you, you, so I know that like on LinkedIn, for instance, if someone's going to go there to connect with you, like you mentioned um, being a systems alchemist, a systems architect, but something that just occurred to me also is I really feel like you um, are, I don't know if it's a systems abolitionist, but there's a there's an abolitionist aspect to your work in the sense that you are what so many people in the media need or people who are working on building media startups, working on telling stories, people like me, but even more people who are really like dedicating themselves to creating those media projects and companies and everything else. Um, those people need to see you because one of the things that I've, I feel like I've run into a lot, especially in the last eight to nine months or so, has been a lot of people who look at the media and say, they're not here for us. They're not creating mm -hmm. representation. And I think a lot of that, a lot of even how I perceive media um, in terms of having a certain face, while that might be a reality, it doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities for voices like mine, um, like ours, like for people like ours, for people who are watching and listening, it doesn't mean that there's not space for them. So, I mean, we've talked a little bit before about just the importance and power of your voice, but if there's one thing that I immediately see, it's that like, whoa, Roxanne's power is in being seen um, and sharing her perspective because like people need to know that you exist um, so that they can stay motivated because we live in a world that often um, you know shuts us down and, and you touched on the VC space a little bit um, and, and um, there's so much so many different directions we could go in but um, just one of the final questions I wanted to ask was, like, what do you feel some of those challenges and barriers are, whether it's the VC space, whether it's the media world, um, even more broad than that? Um, what are some of those challenges that are top of mind for you that um, in the context of this conversation um, come up for you? Um, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I go back to that quote I shared earlier from Audre Lorde about, mm -hmm. you know, being steeped in your own vision allows you not to be afraid. And I think, you know, for me, in terms of your question, direct question about my feeling about barriers affecting me, um, I, I think I struggle sometimes with um, not wanting to take up space because I feel so strongly that my job is to center the work of others. Right. And you know, as my careers progress, and particularly being in community with other Black women, um, other Black, including trans and non-binary women yes. in our Black community, has allowed me to understand that I can still center others in their work and do things myself and be in front of the camera, too. Um and that it's not taking things away. And it's it's funny, you know, as, as you grow and learn more about yourself, there are things that the universe, God, you name it, allow you to revisit as a gift, actually, yeah. to say you are progressing and maturing. So let's look back at that thing we had been working on, right, at some point in your life. And, um, you know, I, I, I think for me, at the, like, at this time, that was the main thing of, like, um, how much do I do I want to share as me, Roxanne, versus my work speaks for itself. Um, the community being able to rebuild after a cyclone speaks for itself. 
um, you know, my partners or, you know, conventionally people call grantees, you know, are able to find a sustainable way to keep their work going and create, you know, beautiful podcasts and newsletters and transformative pieces that bring people together. Um, I just started to realize like all of those things can happen while I'm present too. And then it made me rethink my whole feelings about being a part of a constellation and galaxy and realizing that like, I have to bring that light. And by mm. bringing that light that allows people to say, I can bring my light as well. And it's not about me shining. It's about the whole environment being able to shine. And then once that started to click for me, that, that barrier, you know, over time has become less and less a problem. And now it's about, as I mentioned before, just being in community with people and just focusing on the in-community aspect. And that allows me to like fully bring myself, be myself and not worry about the other things that were, were tripping me up. Roxanne, this has been amazing. But one of the, one of the last questions I have, I feel like the time just, it just, it, it rushes by with you. Yeah. And it's so disappointing because I'm like, wait, we've, it's been an hour already, but um, I think the cool thing is that I've, I've raised, I'm already seeing comments that people are inspired, they're affirmed, they feel powered, they're learning so much from you, and that's something that I've experienced a lot. And and um, I'm just glad that um, we're taking this opportunity to share that with the world, and that we have this opportunity. But one question I want to ask that I ask everyone, just when it comes to sharing your story, mm -hmm. is that if your life were a book or a documentary, Roxanne, what would the title of that be and why? Oh, wow. That's a really good one. Um, unrestrained as the wind. Whoa. Um, so it, this is taken from, and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't fully explain it, but it's taken from the Baha'i writings and it is, like an invocation around um, being so centered, right? in an understanding of self and a belief in love and justice that you are able to fully realize who you need to be. And I would hope that any book or film or podcast series or whatnot would understand that my focus is for everyone to feel that quality of the wind, that type of freedom of agency, that freedom of respect, that freedom of love, the freedom of inquiry, the freedom of beauty, of nature, of communing with everyone and everything that you don't feel constrained, right? You're like, you, you just can be, um, so I think that would be kind of a really cool, cool thing to to watch or listen to yeah. um, or read, whatever it becomes. Yeah. And I, I have one follow up to that, which is just who would write that if it's a book, who would write the foreword or, you know, I think there's so many ways to ask that. But I'll give you a second to think about that um, just because. Mm -hmm. To react to that for a second, unrestrained, <laughs> okay. as to react to it for a second, um, you know, I I love that that's your title, unrestrained as the wind, um, and again, the people who are watching live are also loving your title, so that's really good to see. But I I love it because it's such a well, number one, like I think as someone who comes from an underrepresented or underestimated group that like freedom for yourself to bring it back to Beyonce to tie that in a little bit um, and to also just think about that idea of unrestrained as the wind coming from the Baha'i faith, like you said, the freedom for you as an individual in that sense is also freedom for so many other people. And that's one thing that I really believe in. And that's one reason why I feel and have felt comfortable using my voice to speak up. And, and also I think this is a great point to say that 
I, in a lot of ways, without going into it at this point of the interview a ton, but I feel like I learned a lot about how to uh, use my voice from you. So thank you from that. Thank you for your example in that way. Um, we'll have time. At, we'll have time to to talk. I'm sure more about that too. But um, yeah, I, I love the idea of just creating a space where people feel free. I hope that I know that so many of us, for a variety of variety of reasons, but even if you just look at the pandemic in the literal sense, so many people feel trapped and boxed mm-hmm. into something that they don't have control over. And I think mm-hmm. it's just so important to strive for freedom whatever that means mm-hmm. and what that looks like um for for us but i'm gonna come back to my question unrestrained oh, as the wind Who oh my gosh this is so hard. i did not forget i didn't forget. <laughs> you were here this is hard i'm good i'm i'm you're gonna let I, you have to forgive me you're gonna have to let me cheat because as we all yeah. know with books like there's also folks can write on the on inside the jacket on the bring on in the everyone. Bring so in I, everyone. I'm just gonna say for me I would love to call upon the ancestors to do this. So Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. I would want to contribute a piece to this book. Um, Toni Morrison, I would love for her to contribute a piece <laughs> um, to this book. Um, I, you know, have invoked Audrey Lord earlier, so if she could add an endorsement, that would be great. Um, but to, to, but pro- I want to promise a living person. Oh, and Grace Lee Boggs and Jimmy Boggs, of course. But to, I, I think it would be bad if I didn't have a living person. So if Adrian Marie Brown mm-hmm. would, in some shape or form, <laughs> like do a, an acknowledgement or, or be a part of anything that was uh, that I have written, um, whether it's about my life or thoughts or beliefs or something else. Uh, that would be great. Um, for those of you who don't know Adrienne Marie Brown, her seminal work is Emergent Strategy. She's also written Pleasure Activism um, and so many other incredible things. And I, um, I'm i thankful for her. She is a, a teacher of mine for, for many years. Um, so if she endorsed it as a living person along with these ancestors. That That would be like icing on the cake for me. Wow. So thank you. Thank you so much, Roxanne. You're amazing. And I, I love that um, I, we didn't state it explicitly, really, but I love how even just in your example in this conversation that your um, appreciation of knowledge of and love for, passion for history and where we come from is so powerful. And it's, it's put, setting off this light bulb for me that like, whoa, why don't we all appreciate where we come from and the shoulders that we stand on really more? Um, also, why don't we appreciate the shoulders that we stand side by side with more? But that's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And I think the beautiful thing um, that, that gives me peace is that we're here and that people are hearing this conversation and taking it in and hopefully they'll go and dive more into history dive more into who they're standing shoulder to shoulder with and um, just dive more into learning more and understanding more about one another so that we could all come together, belong and make an impact together. I do want to reference, I love just this idea of, um, you've, you've said it in the past and I haven't forgotten it yet, but uh, like the, the public private people partnerships and collaborations and people really coming together. And I, I hope that us understanding one another more to borrow from Amy Wilson, who I interviewed last week. Um, I hope it can help us have more empathy for one another. Um, and so you've given us all so much in this. People want to keep tuning in, but we do need to wrap up. And so I want to say, where could people find more about you and just where could they follow oh. your work and, and all of that beautiful stuff? Oh, also, thank you, you so much, Matt. Yeah, if you, I will also, if you want to shout out anything else um, that you want people to check out, please feel free to do so. Sure. So I, I, I would, I would have to say, you know, my personal website is under construction now. And so I know Matt, you will um, help me make sure other people know about it um, when it's time to officially launch. Uh, but for the time being, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's J Roxanne with, with no E. Um, that's where I share a lot of stuff. You can follow me on Instagram, J Roxanne um, with an underscore. Again, there's no E in Roxanne. Um, I um, share a lot through the channels and communities 
um, that I work with. So here's one of my shout outs, Media 2070. Um, it is a collective that's focused on media reparations and specifically focused on addressing that within the black community. We are a um, collective of folks in entertainment to folks who are in traditional media and journalism funders, freelancers, organizations um, really trying to, again, in the spirit of reimagination and reinvention, think differently um, about the role of media and journalism. So again, Media 2070, please check out that collective work under the leadership of the amazing Alicia Bell. Um, I would say, you know, our uh, the work that I'm currently doing now for the Nightland Fest Local News Transformation Fund. Um, you can follow me again on Twitter to see um, what my partners, i.e., grantees, as people like to call them, um, they're my partners. We're in it for real. Um, what their work is across uh, the nation around again thinking differently about equity uh, and sustainability um, that's coming from how we approach news and excuse me, news information and data. Um, and then all the folks that I kind of interwove into our conversation, you know, please check out Gwendolyn Brooks, Bell Hooks, right? Audrey Lord, Toni Morrison, right? Get into the canon. Octavia Butler told us, told us back in the 90s that we would be in this time. Literally, if you read Parable of the Sower, Parable of Talons, she talks about this time, right? Um, so look at... Afrofuturism, speculative fiction-based work, no matter what industry you are in, because it will help you know how to live in this day and age. Um, but I'm happy to give more shout outs of things to follow later on. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be in community with everybody that's tuning in or will tune in. Um, and Matt is always, um, I am, I am in awe of you. I'm so proud of you. I feel your father's spirit every time we connect with each other. Um, I'm excited about your film coming out. So everybody continue to follow this brother. He knows exactly what he is doing. He is someone to be in community shoulder to shoulder with. Oh, that means so that means so much. And I I'm gonna I'll make sure that we end because we I feel like we can be here for a long time. But I will say um thank you, Roxanne. Thank you as always. I mean that from the bottom of my heart and also, for anyone who wants to follow more of me and my journey, at Matt Scott GW on the different social media platforms, um, I am. Let's. I'm so flustered by by that. Like amazing, your just your heart, um, and I, I hope that other people could also feel that. Um, but yeah, you could go to www.letscare. Um, and there's an email list if you go to let's.care slash subscribe. And there are lots of different interviews that you could find if you go to the Let's Care website on YouTube. And, and actually, we're going to have another interview coming up in a week because I'm doing these every Saturday. So you'll see that. It's on a treat for all of us. Thanks, I know. Man. That's the goal. And thanks for being part of it. That's what it's all about. It's a treat for me mostly, though, I think, because I get to actually be in the conversations and have all that. But thank you, everyone, for watching and still tuning in even as we wrap up and as i say at the end of each and every one of my interviews roxanne first and foremost thank you so much but also keep impacting awesome.